This is CliffCentral.com. Hello, 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 hello. This is Beyond Ears and Eyes on, as you know, Cliff Central. Welcome. And I'm Shemaine Harris. On controls is Palisa Mabuye. Hello. <laughs> Hi there, and I'm Liesl Tom. Today we are going to talk about the nature of ego. And I think it's a conversation worth having because so many people are into ego bashing mm. at the moment. Now, Shemaine, we have a guest on the line from South Broome, South on, the, Broome. on the South Coast. Um, Bernie Foster runs yoga and meditation retreats, and he's also the author of Meditation for Everyone, a 12-step guide from Kiba, Kima Global Publishers. How did I trip over that? Let me try it again. From <laughs> Kima Global Publishers. Bernie, hi. How are you doing? Thank you. Hello, Shumay. Hello, Bernie. I just heard. Oh, can you turn down your sound, please? Because there's a reverb. We're getting feedback. So is someone listening um, uh, close to you? No, no one listening. Oh, um, there we go. I, I no. suppose I've got a, a speaker right next to ah. me, um, which instead of using the computer speakers, maybe that's what's causing the feedback. Oh. Is it okay now? We're good now. We're good to go now. Hi, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Well, I'm very excited as well. So, Liesl was mentioning you, you have retreats. Oh, that uh, you need to turn the sound down a, a tiny bit more, I think. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm sorry yep. for doing this, but you know, as we go along, we we have to monitor the sound a little bit. Palisa, I think it's all, it's all right now. Just uh, put your ear in there, and then you, you give give us some feedback. So Lisa was talking about that you run um, a yoga and meditation retreats or or, or classes. Yes, um, Shemaine, what um, we've been down at this lower South Coast KZN Coast for about ten years, mm-hmm. and um, Melody taught yoga about three, four, five classes a week for the last eight or nine years. And Melody but then is? she also retired um, last year. So the yoga has stopped, but I have continued um, teaching meditation classes. And we also show spiritual cinema nouveau uh-huh. kind of uh, movies, a little bit like what you folks show down at the Labia, because I do... I am in contact with the people that show some of the movies there. Bernie, sorry, um, Melody is your wife, right? Melody is my wife, yes. Okay. So the two of you work together? Yes. So I'm, I'm so glad that we have someone that we can speak to um, re- with uh, about meditation because your book is called Meditation for Everyone. Am yeah, I, that's correct. Yeah. It, it, so, it really started out when... I had people coming into um, to our center. Clueless people. People were very interested. They'd possibly seen Hollywood movies where somebody sits on the beach or on a rock and blisses out and disappears into some wonderful <laughs> land. And um, they have this picture of what should be. And um, they came along and asked all these questions. And over the years, we've had probably hundreds of people come through and we've got some real diehards that have stayed with us now for many, many years that um, there's a never-ending learning process. You know, Bernie, when I told Jermaine we are going to speak to you because 
So just for the listeners, I had I approached Bernie about a completely different topic, mm-hmm. and we had this long conversation. And in the middle of that conversation, I said, "Whoa." Okay, you need to stop now because this is something that our listeners need to hear. But the, when, when Shemaine heard about your book, Meditation for Everyone, a 12-step guide, she said, mm. we'll have to focus a little bit on that because there is this, as you said, you know, there is this idea that you just go sit in a lotus position and you put your hands out and thumb and middle finger, is it, touch, and then you bliss out. What do you teach people? About how to to go into that meditative state, uh, Liesel, it um, we we follow a three step process to settle the body into a um, any sort of position. We prefer people to not lie down mm-hmm. because that means that they will um, fall, fall asleep. asleep. And <laughs> uh, meditation is not about sleeping. So any sort of seated position, lotus position, on a chair. I think the Dalai Lama said that meditation in the West would be done on a chair. Hmm. And um, just a back, a straight back, chin tucked in, and then um, just to to let the body be naturally present in the moment. And as the body what does settles that mean? with the breath, so the mind settles. What, what does it mean, the body present? You become totally aware of your body. Okay. Sorry, and I just want to... Being totally I... aware of your body, um, you then stay inside your body and you don't wander off out into the night, into yesterday, into tomorrow. You're just present in the moment. I mean, Eckhart Tolle has written numerous books about the subject of being in the now. And that's what meditation actually is. Just being present in the now. There's nothing to do. There's no goal. Don't have any expectations. Just be present. Hmm. But Bernie, I just want to ask you this. Why is it a problem if you fall asleep? I've heard some people say that you still benefit from the process even if you do fall asleep. Lovely question. I actually teach people two things. I teach them what we call reflecting. And I teach them meditation. Reflecting is a more active process where you settle again into a comfortable position. You ground yourself in your body and then you rest and you use some point of focus, what we call a meditation support. It can be your breath. It can be some um, gentle music. It can be the, the wind in the trees. It can be the birds. It can even be dogs barking in the distance or car driving past. That would what we would normally do just in meditation. But in reflecting, we would take a notebook with us and a pen. And we now settle into this position. And then um, when thoughts arise, you take the pen and you make some notes on the paper. So it becomes mm. quite an active process. Whereas in meditation, you don't want to engage the thoughts uh, because then you're off into thinking. And we actually are trying to meditate and not think. We do enough thinking. Well, I've done enough thinking for the last um, many years that I've been alive. And that's not what meditation is. But reflecting is a time where you allow yourself, you listen to this inner voice and you make notes. And you do that for a period of time. And you might fall asleep, and that's okay in reflecting. Mm. 
But in meditation, we want you to be aware of what is happening while it is happening. It's called mindfulness. I have to say that one of the things that people battle with, I do too, unless I find a place of focus. And for me, it, it would be a repetitive kind of um, edifying thought. Um, but I find the whole concept of not thinking crazy. It's, I just can't wrap my head around that. And I think that is so scary for when you just start, um, meditating because you think you're doing everything wrong, you know? So, 100%. what do you say to somebody who has this almost aversion to not think <laughs> and who dares have thoughts while they're supposed to meditate? Ah. <laughs> you know, well, because we, we, are, we are right at the essence of what it is all about which is why we use um, meditation support. The 12-step guide will show you, you start off with um, a candle and you focus your mind on the candle and you just be present with the candle. And by doing that as a focus, the thoughts do tend to recede. Then you can use sound. You can, as I say, use some lovely music um, or you can use burn incense where there's smell. Or um, a weird one is where you put a, a maybe a little sweetie in your mouth and your focus then becomes that sweetie. And in focusing on that sweetie, you don't, you, you don't focus on the thoughts. And what we are trying to not do is engage the thoughts. Hmm. And believe it or not, over a period of time it does, it gets better. So what do you say to people who say, I'm not thinking, I'm hearing stuff? <laughs> You know, there's no right way, wrong way. You, you certainly are hearing stuff, mm -hmm. but it's the engaging with the stuff that you which then sets the mind off again uh -huh. on another tangent. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm, I'm not going to go into that because I'm not getting it because I, when I hear stuff and I'm opening myself to ridicule here, um, when I hear stuff, um, you know, it, it kind of, it, it it holds me there, so so it goes on and on. But but again, that goes with the whole thing of I'm thinking probably that you know. But at the end is the end result is I come out there, I feel great, I feel calm, um, you know. And I suppose that at the end of the day is 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 what it's all about, isn't it? Is to center yourself, to ground yourself. A hundred percent. You know, our brains operate um, between zero and forty cycles per second. And the delta cycle is, is 0 to 4, which is very deep sleep. And maybe if your spouse hits you over the head with a cricket bat. <laughs> God forbid. Um, <laughs> then your, your, your brain waves would be way down there at that level. Then there's the theta level, 4 to 7, alpha, 8 to 13, and beta up to 40. And 40 is when you are freaking out. You've got a deadline to meet. The oh. boss is coming. Nothing has worked, and you're freaking out. Then your, your brain is in total overwind. But by doing what you're doing, you are bringing those cycles down to the alpha or to theta, which is fantastic because then you are calm and absolutely there is benefit from that. Huh. So for older people starting now, because there are a lot of older people who are starting to see the benefits of meditation and they want to know where do I start, um, what what. You know, what will I alter in, in my life uh, if, I, if I start? But I think more so the question is, 
where do I start? Because I feel I need a change. You know, I need a change in being anxious. Um, and, and these are all the things that you address in your, your 12 step guide. Um, isn't it? I, I deal with that exactly. Start off, sit on the edge of your bed when you wake up in the morning. It's not a bad time to meditate first thing in the morning because you've had a good sleep. Sit on the end of the bed, even if you sit there for two to three or four minutes, it's mm-hmm. all good. And just be present in that moment. You know, give us an exercise while you're talking. Give us a two minute exercise if you don't mind. You know, how would you go through that? Um, that process. Say I'm getting out of bed now. So something that, okay. that our listeners can possibly use. Um, I'm new to this. Um, I'm, my day is stretched ahead out, uh, you know, in front of me. Um, and, and I'm not particularly looking forward to it, but I heard I can calm myself down and, and thus, you know, spread that into the day. So I'm sitting on the be- edge of the bed, my feet are on the floor. Now what? Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Two minute one. All right. So then I would say to the to the person, I say to myself, okay, just settle the body. Move the body, twitch as necessary until you feel comfortable. And then take a few deep breaths because as the breath tends to settle the body. And as the body settles, the mind settles. So now the body is settled. And then this, the second step would be to ground the body. Be Mm -hmm. aware of where your buttocks touch the bed, where your feet touch the floor. You are now grounded. Mother Earth supports you unconditionally, and your body supports your mind unconditionally. And as you sit there, you are now grounded. You're present. You can feel the floor. You can feel the bed. Then we go into what we call resting, the third step. Settle, ground, rest. And as we rest... We can focus on the breath. Our minds have been busy for 10 to 50 to 100 years. Just allow the mind something to do. It's been doing it for all these years that we've been alive. Uh, Give it a job. Say to it, listen, I'd like you to count the breath. Count an in-breath, out-breath, one. An out-breath is very relaxing. In-breath, out-breath, Two, you're giving your, your, your mind something to do. And when you get to 10, you go back to 1. What may happen is that the mind wanders off and says, Oh my goodness, I wonder what I'm having for dinner tonight. Where was I? 3, six, um, go back to 1. And just keep doing that with the breath. By staying with the breath, you're staying present in the moment and just being present with your body hugely calming for the body hmm. we spend so much time being busy we just allow ourselves these few minutes to settle and sit there with our eyes closed don't go anywhere else just be present where we are how do i come out of it the when you've done get up and just walk away there's nothing else you have to do Don't expect any outcome. Don't expect to feel relaxed. Mm -hmm. Don't be disappointed if you are not relaxed. By practicing, Roger Federer never got to be a fantastic tennis player that he is by saying, well, I'm going to be a fantastic tennis player tomorrow. I sit for a couple of minutes every day. I had a tennis ball every day for the next couple of years. I'll get there. It doesn't happen instantly. And if I um, have... You know, 
anxiety? Can I, instead of saying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight until ten, can I put a phrase in there that'll calm me down and for those two minutes concentrate on that phrase? That you will also find in the book 100%. People will use mantras. Mm. And a mantra is just words which have powerful meaning to the individual that um, they would repeat. Um, and music is a fantastic example where you, you have some music where you allow your mind to just flow with the music. But everything that I'm saying is with a soft touch. Mm. It's just a caress with your mind. It is not leaping into the river and trying to grab those thoughts that are passing as they float down in the river. You leap into the water and you thrash around trying to catch those thoughts as they pass. You just witness them passing. They come and they go. And don't worry, another thought is going to come just now and another one and another mm -hmm. one. And you just say, oh, and you just let it go. So before Liesl chastises me, <laughs> I just have one more, one more on this. Um, I like that it's a South African who, who wrote the book, you know, because most of our meditation literature that we get, um, we, we, it's, we find the imports and Liesl and I were talking about it earlier and I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, Lee, but you know, there's, there's a, there's a certain, um, way of communication, um, that we all have and South Africans have a certain way of communication and that has nothing to do with the languages we speak. It's, it's about that thing we, we slot into one another in, you know, and so for, for South Africans, I think this is a good thing, especially if you've been battling, um, with, with hearing an, a foreign voice speak to you. Do you, does it make sense? Absolutely, Shemaine. I think that's, that's quite nicely put because it's, as I think we've learned in our lives, the expert always comes from overseas with a foreign accent and a briefcase and he wafts into the room or onto the stage mm -hmm. and then proceeds to give a talk. And it is lovely to have somebody. My teachers have, have been, some of my teachers have been in this country. Yes, I've had overseas teachers and I've been overseas, but some of my best teachers, Rob Nan, for example, from, from Cape Town, he has been my core teacher and he is, he is South African, so he understands the vernacular as well. Hmm. Bernie, as you were answering Shemaine's questions and you were going through this, this, what, what you do when you meditate, I was thinking, what happens if one of those thoughts that drift through your mind is absolutely inspired, is inspirational? If you just leave it to drift down this river, you might lose it. I mean, I find that if I don't write things down, I forget them. So, so what if inspiration strikes while you are in this meditative state? It shows you. You, you shows you folks are on a on a fantastic spiritual path by asking these questions. Um, that is what we I strongly encourage in reflecting. And it doesn't matter if you mix up meditation and reflecting. Take your notebook with you because there's two basic types of meditation. The one which we call calm abiding, to use a Sanskrit or, or one of those um, Far Eastern terms, shamatha. And the other one is insight meditation, which is called vipassana. And insight meditation is what you are referring to, where you actually take an object 
of meditation and you take it into meditation. Knowing that I was going to be talking to you guys, I took you guys into a meditation a couple of times over this past week. Oh, wow. And it enables, enables me to clear my mind and the clarity, the insights that come from that is is what you and I said the other day, Liesl, that's goosebump stuff for me. Bernie, but but when you say you took us into a meditation, how did that work? Did you did you visualize us? Did you uh, imagine a heart connection? How did you take Shemaine and I into your meditations? Considering that we're busy. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I took the the subject of our talk, and having listened to your voices. I could hear your voices with me and the, the bit of the laughter that you two have sometimes at the beginning of your shows and you you clearly make a good connection together and there was comfort in that. But then I started to to say to myself, okay, let's let's stay with the object of the meditation. Now the object is we're going to talk about the ego and there has to be coherence in this one hour that we are going to be together. There has to be some kind of order where we start at A and end at Z. Otherwise, if we start at Z and try and go to A, you can lose the listener and you can lose the thread of also the message that you are trying to send and stay just with what is and not then wander off and say, well, it'll be fantastic if I now add this or if I add that. Let's just stay with what is. So, Bernie, let's then go to what is. And uh, could you just briefly explain to us where the ego fits into the human being? Fantastic. Let's, um, let's open with um, another... Uh, forgive me, I, I want to take a little bit of control of this and give you an idea here, the slight thought experiment. Okay. I think I did this with you the other day, Liesl, is we, we use the word house, H-O-U-S-E. And if you have a few people around you, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a nice little party trick that you do with people. And you ask the people, describe your house to me, your perfect house, your dream house your holiday house, something that's important to you. And you listen to what everybody says. And every one of those houses will look totally different. One will be in the mountains, one will be at the seaside, one might be on an island, one might just be a houseboat on a river. But every one of them is spent, spelt house. So that shows that everybody has a perspective of the words that we use. The words that we have used for the 20 odd minutes that we've been talking people will then put their perception on those words. Then if I were to stretch that a little bit further, when I saw his green house on the mountain, I was angry. Somebody listens to that phrase, and green will have a different shade for this one and that one and the next one. The mountain, someone will visualize it on the edge of a cliff. Someone will look in the rolling hills of the Natal Midlands. And someone else will be on the Alps. But I use the word mountain. The perception of the hearer, of the person listening, adds the content. We're going to get to the ego through this way. Oh, thank you. And then when I say the word I was angry, 
someone will hear the word angry and remember a father who, when he got angry, he was silent, he ignored mother, children, neighbor, everybody. You know dad is angry, he just goes cold and silent. The man next door takes out a baseball bat and starts breaking furniture or breaking you if you happen to get in his way. Both of those words is defined by somebody, the word angry. So having said that, we now move into this this idea of, of ego. And I use these, the, use these um, words which I used with you the other day, the eight consciousnesses. We have five senses where we hear, we see, we taste, we touch, and we smell. So when I say you hear the sound of the birds, somebody will say, gosh, I can't stand those hardy dars. <laughs> Where another one says, isn't that the most beautiful bird, that sound? So the, the perception of the sound, the perception of the word, whatever that is, is actually coming from the listener, not from the word that I have just used. So now we get back to those eight consciousnesses that we, you and I dealt with the other day when you said stop, stop, stop. So we've got those five that I mentioned. The sixth one resides, if you like, it is the sixth consciousness of your mind. We're mixing up psychological terms, spiritual terms, meditation terms, and it's all perfect as it is. It looks for similarities and differences. There's a sound. Ah, it's a bird. That sixth consciousness runs around, searches through the filing cabinet of your mind, and says, that is a golden oriole. I recognize that. Then the seventh conscious consciousness has been watching all, all of this, and he says, I really like that bird. I would like to hear more of that bird. And that seventh consciousness is our friend, the ego. Constantly watching what's coming through the senses, they arrive in the mind. The mind identifies from similarities and differences. Seen this before, heard this before, I know this. And that's when the mind says, I don't like this. I don't like the thoughts that I'm having. I don't like sitting here in meditation. This is the most boring conversation I've ever heard. Mm. And the, the ego then becomes involved and then either accepts or rejects what it what it likes or dislikes. Hmm. There's the ego. Can, can before we come back to the ego, because what I am hearing is that the ego passes judgment. The ego yes. evaluates and then says yes or no. But before before we carry on with 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 the ego, what would be the eighth form of consciousness? The eighth consciousness is your divine nature. In a, in a, maybe in a Buddhist term, you would say my, in my, my Buddha nature, my enlightened state. Um, other words would be the Alaya consciousness, the Akashic records, everything that you are. Remember, we all come from stardust. Every single one of us is made up of the same stardust. It is all that is. It is our enlightened state. Would everything that is there, everything we have been and everything we will be. That is in the storehouse of this Alaya consciousness, the eighth consciousness. Would that be what we lay people call the soul? No, the lay people like the word soul because they want a permanent um, existing self. 
which is always there, whereas I'm talking about something much, much bigger than that. That is everything that is. If if you want to, to use this word, um, you can say a God consciousness, our divine nature, and, and not just the soul, because the soul, again, just makes it very small and, and right down to me, 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 which is the ego, me, 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 ego, soul, me, me, me. But- Okay, so is this idea of soul then connected to ego? Because I was going to ask you, how do you go from ego, judgment, to everything? I mean, shouldn't there be a few steps in between? Okay, now we're going to backtrack. We're going to talk about the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. The conscious mind works in linear terms in... um, numbers and all this logic and books and all that kind of thing. The unconscious mind works in symbols, images, um, pictures, feelings, emotions. They cannot talk to each other. We know that they cannot talk to each other. Science can prove that to you. However, there's, there's, a, there's a part in between that. And as I say, I'm just using words here to try and explain a very complex subject is what we would call the subliminal mind. Mm. And the subliminal mind can talk conscious speak and it can talk unconscious speak. It understands the two. Is so that also what they is, the go- is that Sorry? also is that also what they sometimes call the supraconscious? You could do that. I would prefer the word intuition. Aha. Uh-huh. So your intuition links your conscious and unconscious mind. It's that bridge. It's the bridge. And so that you know, suddenly when you get that gut feel and you say, I'm following my intuition, that has come out of your unconsciousness. And you, in a sense, your consciousness is totally aware that it has just heard the truth. And it says, I'm going with this because this has come from this greater you that you can't always get in touch with. We forget in in each carnation incarnation that we have I love that you that you and I mean this might just be for my little brain that needs a box for everything but I love that you've put intuition in uh, the the in in terms of a mindset do you know what I mean because yes. then it doesn't it 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 kind of um, solidifies it, it earths it for me. It doesn't become something that's up there that I have, that I feel I have to, you know, um, explain. But if you, if, if I can go with it and say that is, an, that is my mind, you know, and we just s- see it differently. I, I like that. I don't know if I'm even making sense. Um, no, you're making sense because, um, what happens is when we do sit, and these these thoughts rise and you say you get that wah-wah moment and that gives you the goosebumps, mm-hmm. what happens is that seventh consciousness, the ego, says, ooh, ah, I like that. I want more of that. It sticks out, and these are all metaphors, it sticks out at hands, its hand, the, the, the ego, and tries to grab it, and it's gone. We we hear a lot about the ego, and there are a lot of people who go like, Ugh, 
you know, you egotistical this, you egotistical that. And it's almost become the it word for swearing at you without, yes, without, <laughs> without verbalizing. Yes. You are so full yeah. of ego. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. Bernie, when did the ego start getting such a bad rep? <laughs> and, it probably, um, probably always, always has had, but with the advent, I think, of um, psychotherapy, um, it's, it's tended to get a bum rap. But don't forget, we live in an incredible, incredibly materialistic society with, with that bus that has driven, driven past the window outside in the street there has got something on the side of it which says, you deserve it. Hmm. So we so, so materialistic that constantly it feeds the ego that you need the iPhone 8. And as soon as you get it a year later, this is throw it away. You need the iPhone 9. And a year later, throw it away. You need the iPhone 10. And you need, you need this constant striving. I want, I want, I want. It's insatiable. It is never, ever, ever satisfied. Mm-hmm. And that's the entire industry out there which requires that we stay dissatisfied with who we are and what we have. And when I get the next Thai food restaurant, when I get the new car, when I get the new husband, the new wife, the new house, then I'll be happy. And that ego constantly requires satisfaction because society has forced us into that. And when you say, no, I'm hopping off the bus, suddenly you discover, oh, my word, it's actually not so bad. The question is, is who decided to hop off the bus? Mm. And That's what we're talking about. That is that the inner you, the you that knows that awareness, the witnessing presence that watches all this fun and games going on in your head. There's a witnessing presence that watches it all. And that witnessing presence is what? Your enlightened nature, your Buddha nature, your divine nature. Hmm. Okay, so so if if you describe, you know, the the this materialistic world and and the 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 constant bombardment with, you will be happy when get this, then you will be happy. When did we start buying into this idea that happiness is something that we can postpone, that it is something that we have to work towards? It's this constant craving that we have, um, the understanding that life is difficult. I think um, you, if you were to ask a, a thousand people, I think um, pretty much if they were totally honest with themselves, they would acknowledge, wow, yeah, you know what? Life can be sometimes pretty tough. It's mm. very difficult. But then if you sit in meditation and, you know, someone like Roger Federer or Tiger Woods, you know, they when they've done 10,000 hours worth of their practicing, they actually know, they really know what they're talking about. Now, the same would go for someone who took the trouble to sit in 10,000 hours worth of meditation. You start to get a handle of actually what causes my my struggles. It causes my uncomfortableness, my dissatisfaction. I want more. You, When you start to understand that, that's when you say, I have... I see what the problem is. I I see there's a problem. I see what the problem is. I see where it's coming from. So now what's the solution? And the solution is, is then you start on the spiritual path, which you guys clearly are and which I'm on. I took a step off the ladder. 
up the ladder and then I look back down and I realize, oh, I was still on the ground. And I take mm-hmm. another step up the ladder and I realize, oh my word, I'm still on the ground. And I've been doing this for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's a never ending climbing the ladder to where it doesn't matter. You, you, you need to keep going forward and practicing to get those 10,000 hours or 100,000 hours. Mm. I was in a relationship with someone who kept saying, I need this, I need this, I need this. And if you're at the receiving end of, of such, you know, such a person in your life, doesn't matter in in what capacity capacity they're in your life, but the fatigue that it brings with it, you know, especially if you kind of like providing or if you're in a position where you can provide what the person supposedly needs or wants, you are constantly tired. It is, it is, it's such a, such a burden to, <laughs> to place onto someone else, you know. It's, it's exhausting, isn't it? It is terribly see, exhausting. The thing is, as, as you and I sit here, and talk, there's self and other, mm-hmm. self and other, that my entire interaction with the universe around me is through my five senses, listening, touching, seeing, etc. Self and other. So there's always the separation, me and something else, me and something else, me and something else. And you can hear how egoic that is. Mm-hmm. But at the center of this entire universe the, the, the entire center of, of South Broome, of KZN, of South Africa is me. I'm at the center of this. The same way that a thousand or a couple of thousand years ago, people believed that the earth was the center of the galaxy, of the universe. And they discovered, oops, it's wrong. And that's what you do in meditation. You discover that you actually are not the center of the universe. And that trying to be the center of the universe is what causes your suffering and causes your unhappiness. Bernie, then what's what's the point of the ego? What's what's its role supposed to be? Because I'm assuming that if everybody gets issued with an ego, there must be some point to it. Hundred percent. There's absolutely a good point to it. It um, gets you through the day. It keeps you safe. Mm. Um, I'm going to tell you guys just a. Um, it's not a long story, but it's a short story, and it, it'll make perfect sense to you. Uh-huh. It's a story of a little family that lives on the farm, um, and they're in a farmhouse with some um, candles in the house and torches and the like, and outside is a little den where the kids go and play and mom does the sewing, and mom realized that she'd actually left something in the sewing room, so she says to the family in the house, this is way before the television and people still listen to the radio and Tracy Dark and consider your verdict and all those kind of things. And mom says, I'm just going to get something out of the the den outside. It's the little hut outside. So she pops out and she hasn't come back for a while. Now, in our little thought experiment we're playing here, we go outside and we see mom standing absolutely frozen. She's nearly stepped on a snake. Now, she's frozen in fear because she knows that on the farm there are many, many dangerous snakes, one bite, and we're far from town, mom's going to die. So therefore, if I just stand here and wait, the snake will move off. But if I call out, I may alarm it. So shut up, don't call out, just stand and wait. Now, hang on, this is this is too traumatic. I think I should move away. If I move slowly, now this has gone on for some minutes in this absolute fear that mom is at. 
And dad says inside, hey, son, where's your mom? Go oh. and see where she is. Oh. Maybe she can't see anything. Oh, Just take her the torch. You rush outside with a torch, and there is mom nearly stepped on a piece of rope. Where did the snake come from? Wow. The snake came from the mind, and the ego is the one that tried to keep the person safe. That's what the ego's job. It's part of the reptilian brain. It's mm. the one that has looked after you and looks out for fear and danger. Don't fall off the cliff. Don't mm -hmm. drive on the wrong side of the road. It's very essential for our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. But Bernie, we don't live in I like that, that story. It took me on another tangent. <laughs> By the time you got to the rope, I was like, thank God. <laughs> you know, the, the, the reptilian brain had a function when we were in danger of being eaten by saber-toothed tigers, when, 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 when there was a situation of lack and or attack. But now in our modern day society, we lack very little. Some of us who are fortunate and are blessed, we lack very little, and we are not under constant attack. What then is the point of this constant bombardment with these warnings, look out for this, make sure you don't lose that? You know, it, it, it gets a bit tedious then. Of course it does, but just think, and, and there is constantly that fear there that driving between point A and point B, you're going to get a speeding fine. Um, at your home, you know, is the electric fence working? Am I going to be hijacked as I arrive at the gate? Um, am I going to die of a heart attack? Is this food going to be poisoned? There's constant fear uh, around us. What, and you know, and, and also who am I working with? Are, are they, should I be watching my back, you know, or is yeah. it safe to go in, you know? So yeah. you're trying to gauge all the time. So, so I think That's maybe. The, the maybe ego we, is doing that all the yeah. time. It's, it's watching, it's watching out for you. And it, and it, and it gets quite sad. And fear's annihilation is when you finally do sit in meditation and say, listen, ego, just go and sit over there in the corner. I just feel like chillaxing for a while. We're going to just play this meditation game with Bernie. I'm going to sit, the, you just go and sit quietly in the corner. Don't worry, I'm not going to forget about you. I still love you. You're still very important to me. I just want to play this little game of meditation. And it might go and sit in the corner and sulk a little bit. And it discovers, okay, I don't actually need to fear this process. And it actually becomes accepting, which happens over a period of time. And it says, okay, I'll sit over there in the corner. I'm not the most important person in your life, but I'll, I'll do it. Because I mean, I've loved with you. I've been with you all your life. So, so I can give myself that talk also if I want the I something something. And say, listen, you have to figure out how to work with this, you know, sub that you've got right now, you know, until whenever. So you can actually put those principles there as well, is it? That's yeah. that's very superficial, I know. Yeah. You know, but I mean it is very important for a lot of people and it causes stress. I mean we think I, I suppose as you grow as you grow older your need for stuff and and for having becomes less. I think the only thing that becomes kind of like a non-negotiable is you have to kind of, you know, have a sense of, of self where you, you know, where you can, can, can rest in. But, but for exterior things, you kind of don't, it doesn't matter that much. But for people coming up who have been told, look, you need to do X, Y, Z to, to be considered a success and, and, and only then your life will be happy. 
it's 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 stressful and it it induces panic attacks and and all sorts of fear and causes death i mean people die because they feel because i didn't achieve what society says i should um i'm i'm not worth my my steps on this earth well you know then we move into this subject called the shadow and we um i didn't know if we get there or not and it's something great. that come up It'll come up with with other other um, speakers that I know that you're going to have in the new year. The shadow are the disowned parts of ourselves that are are always there, which we discovered as we were growing up were unacceptable. If you when you were two, three, four years old and you saw cookies on on the plate and you took three or four, <laughs> and a granny or a, a parent said to you, "Oh, you greedy little boy." And um, you suddenly realize, oops, that was unacceptable behavior. So um, that was quite a surprise to you. You thought, you know, that the world was your oyster. You could do what you wanted, when you wanted, and as you wanted. And then slowly but surely, these these messages are sent to you of withholding love, withholding affection, attention, etc. And you start to discover your way in the world. And these things uh, are, are put away. Um Debbie Ford made an incredible movie called The Shadow Effect, where um, I'm, not, I'm not pretty, um, your, your sister got all the looks, um, so you must have got the brains. Um, and those kind of things that, that uh, people say hurt these little parts inside you, and you carry them around and you try to suppress them, mm. but they're always there, and they come out in your dream state. One of the things that I went with Liesl the other day, oh, Shemaine, was the dream that state. we have four states of being. Go there, go there. Just are, even, you know, we've got a little time, please. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a few minutes. We, where you are conscious, what we would call awake, the, where you and I are interacting now. Then there is the unconscious state, as I, as I also alluded to earlier, with a sense of humor. You got hit overhead by a cricket bat or a baseball bat, and you are now unconscious. There's a third state, which is dreaming. But even the dreaming state, there's the rapid eye movement, there's the deep sleep, and there's this very superficial where you're just dozing, where you're napping. Um, and the fourth state is what we call the meditative state, the meditation. So the shadow will want to be heard and will come at you maybe in moments of meditation when you least expect it, and they will come to you in your dreams. Because hmm. what are dreams? Dreams are just unconscious thoughts. Nightmares. So, nightmares. Your so, shadow are your nightmares. Oh, my exactly. goodness. Oh, my goodness. What kind of stuff can we do before we go to sleep to stop it? There must <laughs> be something to do. Yes, there is. Okay. There is. There is something you can do, and you, you're going to do that in the new year with somebody. Um, Liesl oh, is going come to on. <laughs> we want to hear your, your side as well. Would you so please no, really go is, for it? Would you please? Just, just quickly, what it would be is it's what's called lucid dreaming. Be aware of the dream, being aware that you are dreaming when you are dreaming. And you say to yourself when you go to sleep, that may I have clear dreams, and when I am dreaming, may I be aware that I am dreaming. And you, you set that intention, and it may happen. And if a bogeyman is chasing you in your dream, and you become aware of it, 
you have woken yourself up before Shimon, Liesl. Very likely you've woken yourself up when you're about to go over a cliff hmm. or someone wants to stab you. You've woken yourself up. I'm sure you have. Mm, I think it happens to all of us, yes. It's, yeah, exactly. It's not, now, that is being conscious in your dream, isn't it? That's lucid. That's a lucid okay. dream right there. So, look, it, it sounds so simple, the way you explain, go to bed, tell yourself, you know, put the <laughs> steps in place and, and all that. And then other people go like, no, 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 because my dreams speak to me. So... Do you know what I mean? Some people believe they get get messages or that we get messages and that we unravel life's mysteries um, in, in our dream state or when we're asleep. So 100%. But if, you, if, you're, if you're a Sufi, you've got a dream book from Sufism which will help you to interpret your dreams. But there you go. There we go back to when we started this nearly an hour ago. <laughs> That's a perception. Ah. So you first have so, to now explain to some of us who don't know what a Sufi is. What is it's, a Sufi? Sufi is, is, is just um, is, is one of the many religions that we have on Mother Earth. We've got uh, Christianity, we've got Hinduism, we've got um, Islam, we've got Sufism, we've got Buddhism, all the isms. Okay, well, got it. So th that's all that that is. And the same way that somebody who may be agnostic or atheist um, would say, listen, no, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not, I don't want to be any of those, but I want to analyze my dreams. You can go into any exclusive books or any bookstore like that, and you can get a book on dreams, which will give you a good clue about um, how how your dreams are and why your dreams are. But they are all you, and very often they are your unconscious thoughts which come into your dreams. Hmm. I'd like to go back to the ego. Um, you know, <laughs> Let's do that, Lisa. You, uh, you make this piece of us, this, this part of us sound like it's absolutely fear-based. And when I look at it from that perspective, all I see is disconnect. How do we connect with other people? How do we turn our ego into something that can serve us by connecting with people. Lovely, Liesl. Um, I think the, the, the thing is, when you realize that we're all in this pot of soup together and that I'm not the only one sitting with this meditation group of 10 or 20 getting it wrong, pretty much everyone else is feeling, well, maybe I'm getting it wrong and I'm getting it wrong. Then you, when you have an acceptance that it is perfect as it is and it's okay and I'm going to sit here, it, it starts to, that acceptance is, is one of the major keys to moving on. We are so, we, we have been so self-centered. You go to that same bookstore, there's a self-help book. There's this book to fix you, that box book to fix you. I love them. So constantly telling you that there's something wrong with you. And you, when you have an acceptance, you know what? This is the way I am. This is how I'm made up. And you take care, love and compassion of other people. You move outside that selfishness into selflessness of being with other people. The stress goes out of it. And you start being with other people um, through kindness, through similar interests, the way that you, you and I are on this sort of this 
different path from mainstream, asking these kind of questions, thinking these kind of thoughts, and that you just accept this is where I am and it's okay. So how did this alternate way of thinking start for you? It started for me probably about 20, 25 years ago, got divorced, and I thought, ach, Niemann, now what? <laughs> you know, the big questions were always there. Um, who is God? Why am I here? What's it all about? What is my purpose? All that kind of thing was there. And I then started to read interesting books. There, there, there's some important people that I bumped, I bumped into into my life. And I view it a lot of it synchronistically that um, somebody comes into your life at the right moment and shares um, shares something with you. And if you are awake and aware, and you realise that and ready. This, I'm ready, and then you you can you can move along. And that's what happened for me. And once I started on that path, I just couldn't I couldn't get enough. I just I got those tingles so regularly. I just want more. Now, Bernie, this journey of yours, and uh, we, we've discussed the ego, we've spoken about this this higher being. What then, for you, is the purpose of life? Wh- why are we here? Why do we bother keeping coming back to this reality? Ah, lovely question. Ready for this one? One of the what I will I'll, given another analogy to you. It's a, I suppose that you could call this another thought experiment. There is the moment that a thought arises. The thought is present for a period of time, and the thought passes. Then there's a gap. Another thought arises, is present for a while, and then passes. And yes, I know that we've got gazillions of thoughts, but I'm using it in, in its simplest form to explain it. Life is like this. There is a birth. There is the, so that's the arising. There is life, which is the thought being present. So life is being present. And then there is the passing. There is the death. And then there is the gap. And then we start all over again. What we discover is that when we stop looking only in about me, you realize that the benefiting of others becomes extremely important. And then you bump into these incredible beings, the Gandhis, the um, Dalai Lamas, Mother Teresas. They just go out and their purpose is to help everyone out there. And suddenly there is so much more joy in your life. The same way as you were saying early on, you get older it's no longer about me getting presence. It's about me giving presence, taking care of others, uh-huh. doing for others, helping other people make it through and understanding what is causing maybe their suffering. Me doing what I'm doing in, in, in this sense of teaching people meditation is such a strong purpose for me, helping other suffering schmucks yes. like me make I... it through another day, another year. I I love the note that I love the note that we're ending on because we have to end on this. But essentially, you are saying to Liesl, we are here for the benefit of others. That's why we're here. 
Is that what yeah. you're saying? Awesome. I think on that note, I, I enjoyed your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so very much for coming, Bernie. So I'm going to... Pleasure, Shemaine. I thought maybe we were going to have about four hours. We've only just touched the surface for an hour. I know. You know, we, we often have guests who uh, invite themselves back. Uh, would you like to step up to the plate and issue yourself an invitation? I'll be back in 2018 for sure. There's a few other little games and things that we can talk about and play, which we'd have a lot of fun with. Awesome. Bernie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Bernie Foster, the author of Meditation for Everyone, a 12-step guide by Kima Global, Global Publishers. From me, Liesl Tom, take care of yourself. And uh, from Palisa Mabuya, also take care of yourself. From me, Shemaine Harris, have a good time with yourself. This is CliffCentral.com.